Dr. E. Michael Jones, my name is uh, Chicago Talk Show host, Alex, and I appreciate your time. And I'd like to ask you a couple things regarding some of your perspective on some of these important matters that you speak of. And so we're going to get right into it. I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial that's been through, many of us have been through various vices. We, were, we, wa we grew up watching videos on, from, from Hollywood, the Hollywood machine about the this sort of uh, promiscuous lifestyle, the music, which I know is no is uh, not a shocker to you, coming from the revolutionary period of the '60s and Rolling Stones. What do you say to how do you what do you recommend for many of us millennials who are who are still lost, who who have forsaken marriage, forsaken the stability of long-term relationships, that are still stuck in the in the cycle of short-term hookup culture. Yeah, the, 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 a moment came, a uh, historical moment. I think it was 2019, when uh, it was NoFap November, where I think a whole generation woke up to the fact that uh, they were addicted. They were slaves of their passions, sexual passions. They had grown up. They didn't know. They, it came upon them unawares because they were children when they started seeing pornography on their cell phones and stuff like that. And they woke up and realized that um, they were slaves. And they couldn't break out of the slavery. Uh, I, at that moment, I had written a book 20 years earlier called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And uh, uh, nobody paid much attention to it when it came out, but suddenly when a whole generation awoke to the fact that they were slaves, they were receptive to the idea that sexual liberation was a form of political control. And so sometimes just hearing that statement would wake people up. And when it woke people up, they couldn't go back to the same style of living. Uh, and that's what that was. So I had nothing to do with NoVap November. Uh, that was completely spontaneous. But some of those people made contact with me through the book. And so uh, this consciousness started to grow. It was immediately attacked. Uh, Rolling Stone did an article attacking these people. It's supposed to be the counterculture. It turns out it's the culture of enslavement working for the oligarchs to keep uh, your generation enslaved. They called them anti-Semites, which I think was revealing, uh, because now they admitted who was behind this whole thing. Uh, but that, that's what happened. That was the moment in history. And so the question is now, what, what do you do? Now, uh, as I said, some people could just wake up and say that uh, I'm a slave, uh, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And then they just broke free. Now, the other problem, other people were in a different situation because they had acquired bad habits over this period of time. And it, these are really bad habits. You know, uh, pornography and masturbation is a very bad habit. And it's totally addictive. And the problem is that it renders you uh, unattractive to the opposite sex because you're to totally isolated. That is the whole point of it. That is the nefarious scheme here to keep these people isolated because they're easy to control, wreck their lives, wreck a whole generation. Uh, if you're, but that, that's nothing is too powerful for God. And that is the whole point that at a certain point you're going to have to face up to the fact that uh, there is a way out of this. It's called the Catholic Church and it's called the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Uh, and I think that that's, that's got to be the solution. I mean, I'm trying, let's go broaden the picture now. You go to a place like Ireland an entire country where they were deceived into uh, 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 accepting gay marriage and abortion. 
in total contradiction to the constitution of the Irish Republic that was created after years of enslavement by the British Empire, and they threw it overboard, and now they are totally enslaved. And so uh, it's a terrible situation there. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow on the podcast. But in a situation like this, uh, there's only one answer for Ireland. You have to go back to the faith that you abandoned. Uh, this was the the, the uh, Chief of Tancatolica is the uh, official magazine of the Catholic Church. And uh, in 1890, they did a three-part series on the Jewish question, which is unheard of. The Catholic Church has a position on the Jewish question? Well, back then it did. Uh, and they said uh, it was the sentence that just leap, leaped off the page at me. Any country that turns away from the laws created by Christian rulers will end up being ruled by Jews. That is the world we live in. If you're in a situation, place like Ireland, you have to wake up to that fact. Uh, my my friend uh, Gemma O'Doherty is being harassed by the legal system over there. Uh, she, this harassment suit is a, a, a it's actually a literally harassment suit. Someone's claiming that she is harassing someone because she wrote an article. The judge, in the middle of describing the case, announced to the world that Gemma was an anti-Semite and a Holocaust denier. Now this is significant because what he did was bring into this equation, you know what, this has nothing to do with this case, but he brought it in because it is the hidden grammar of what's going on in Ireland. And it's the hidden grammar of what's going on here. So, what I'm saying is, yes, there's hope. Uh, you can break these addictions. Yes, that's possible. But it's only possible with the grace of God. And that's true of, certainly, that is even more true of a country. If you're talking about a country like Ireland or Germany, which is exactly it's just as bad, you're going to have to turn away from this godlessness and turn away from the sexual liberation, which was basically the entry into godlessness. Thank you. Our generation, you spoke of regarding this disconnect with Logos, getting into rather pursuing things like that are pagan in nature, astrology, or uh, not even, or atheism, uh, worshiping and misunderstanding the works of Nietzsche, uh, but ending up in this cyclone of nihilism. When, pe when I try to tell my, my companions, my generation, practice a faith, and they say, well, I, I believe, okay, but they lament going to church, but and they don't understand the value of getting the body and blood of Christ a lack of faith, and I know it's nothing new, but it, it seems so pronounced in our generation that there's just a lot of nihilism and, and a lot of hopelessness that you give up, that, that, that you shared, uh, spoke of earlier, and a lot of aimlessness. For, for those that are still struggling with reconnecting with Logos in a practical manner that does involve going to church and reading the Bible from time to time, what is there? what else do you recommend for for so many of us that are are lost. Okay, now when you say you're lost, you mean you can't find the way. You don't you don't have the map anymore. If you had a map, you wouldn't be lost. Okay, and uh, that is part of the the cultural assault that has taken place. If you're talking about Nietzsche and nihilism, this was a huge revolt against Christianity that took place in Germany during the late 19th century. It led to war and misery. The war led to the Weimar Republic, which led to 
the Jewish control of the culture, which led to a reaction called Nazism, which was even worse in terms of its godlessness. So the first thing you have to explain to someone is that there is a plan. There is a plan to the universe. It's not just there's some guy, God out there. You know, he has, he has created everything with a plan that is all complete in his mind. And if you want a successful life, you have to uh, understand that plan and you have to act according to that plan because otherwise you're not going to be successful. And so the shorthand word uh, for that plan is called logos. Now, this is a Greek word that means reason uh, or word. It's like there are five pages of equivalence, which is why I use the Greek word, because there's no other word that has this richness. We, it, it, so St. John, in a momentous decision, incorporated all of Greek philosophy into Christianity when he wrote his gospel. He wrote his gospel in the Greek language, and the first sentences in the beginning there was logos. And Logos was with God, and then Logos is God. Well, that means there's never been a time where there's been chaos. It's always been there. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that there hasn't been some type of order to the universe. And that's the first step you have to take. You have to realize there is a plan to the universe, so you don't have to go to astrology, which is what people did when they sort of understood that there was, you know, relationship between the heavens and the earth and the planets are up there and maybe that controls us. I mean, that's primitive misunderstanding of what the relationship between heaven and earth. We have a much more specific, it's that part of the universe and this part of the universe, that part and your heart are all dominated by Logos. So there's no big great dichotomy between the planets and, and your soul because they're both created by God. So once you understand that, then um, you realize, well, maybe there's, I shouldn't be hopeless. If there's a plan, maybe the plan will be something uh, for my life. And at that point, uh, I mean, I'm talking to people all over the world uh, in this regard. So you talk to people like Iranians who are uh, Muslim, it's an Islamic Republic. How do you talk to people like that? Well, Logos is part of what we are whether you're a Muslim or not. It's the order, it's speech, it's language. The fact that we can talk to each other means that we are rational creatures. Animals can't do this. But uh, what's, what's the paradigm? So I propose the paradigm of the, the Magi, which is in Christian scripture, but they were Persians. Iranians are Persians. And they, they studied this, the universe, which is like, they were, you could call them astrologers, because they thought there was, maybe those planets determine the way I act. They were still entertaining that idea. We know that's not true now, but they were entertaining the idea. Uh, but there's an order to that. Maybe the if I study the order, I can know the mind of God. That's the way we're thinking. And suddenly this new star appears. And they're thinking, wow, this must be significant because everything in the heavens is significant. And so they decide to follow the star and the star leads them to the Logos incarnate. Now, the star can't force you to do anything. You're not determined by the stars. Shakespeare said that. But it can, the Logos of the universe does lead you to the Logos incarnate, and that, you may, that, that point you have to make a decision. And the decision is, do I do it his way, or do I do it my way? Now, if you're an American, you think, well, wait a minute, there are a million different religions out there. I mean, you just go down the street, there's the the third church of uh, Macedonia, according to 
uh, Dearborn Avenue and the Apostolic Succession or something. It's a little short front, storefront church. Well, why can't I do it that way? Well, that's another question. And so you have to go back historically. Was that church of the third Macedonian uh, apostolic whatever created by Jesus Christ? Was it founded by Jesus Christ? No, it was Pastor Solonho who took out the contract about four, four months ago and uh, got the church going. So that doesn't go back very far. None of the churches that we know, even the big mainline Protestant churches, go back anywhere before 1517, which is when Luther uh, started the Reformation. That's America. That America was a country where anybody could come, bring their religion. You can start whatever religion you have, but that's not a reliable guide. Uh, so the question is, well, which the apostolic church? It's the Catholic church, because that was founded by Jesus Christ. So today we had the feast of St. Peter and Paul. If you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, you see in gold letters about seven feet high under the, the base of the dome, it says, Tu es Petrus et supra hunc Petrum edificabo ecclesia mei. You are Peter, and upon this church I will build my Upon this rock, I will build my church. And if you go straight down from there, you'll find that there is a uh, burial place, and that's where Peter is buried. So it's literally true. That's the argument for following, doing it God's way, because God didn't leave us orphans. He didn't just say, I'm leaving, good luck. He created the church to guide us through our lives, and that's the argument we have to make. If you want to be serious about this, you got to do it God's way. And there are lots of people who think, well, no, I'll do it my way. And, well, all I can say is good luck. The other thing is I can demand that you be rational. But I can't demand that you accept Jesus Christ as God because that you, you don't have faith. And that's above reason. So I can lead you to the door, which is exactly what the star did. The star took the three magi, the three Persians, the three Iranians, to the door of the stable and they saw the Logos incarnate and then it was up to them. You're going to have to make the decision at this point. It doesn't look like the guy who rules the universe. It looks like a baby to me, pretty helpless. Uh, and that's the type of where you need faith to, to understand that. This is not something that's ever going to go away. I just finished a long piece on Nathaniel Hawthorne. And Nathaniel Hawthorne, I wrote my dissertation on Nathaniel Hawthorne about 50 years ago, and it was published as a book called The Angel and the Machine. And suddenly I was drawn back into Hawthorne because a friend's daughter is dying of cancer, uh, or has cancer, uh, and all these people I know are dying of cancer. And uh, Hawthorne's daughter became uh, not only a Catholic, she became a Catholic nun, and she started a, an apostolate for people dying of incurable cancer. Uh, but for some reason, Hawthorne, so God, Hawthorne's a decent guy. Uh, he's kind of provincial, he's raised in New England, but he gets to go to Rome because he wrote the political biography for Franklin Pierce, who made him consul in Liverpool, and then he earned enough money. He goes to Rome, and suddenly he's confronted by this huge Catholic church of sort he's never seen. He's never seen a building like St. Peter's. He's used to white clapboard buildings, which are the Unitarian churches in places like Concord. This is completely different. It's beauty. Beauty is a transcendental, which means it takes you to the presence of God, but it can't get you to accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. 
you got to do something. And so Hawthorne was brought to that moment, and he couldn't bring himself to do it. There's something mysterious here, and I can't make it any simpler than it is. So, I mean, that's the whole story in a nutshell. You know, when I, when I hear that, I hear echoes of a book that you recommend, uh, which I also bought, which I understand is a series, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Augustine's City of God, right. the City of God versus the City of Man. I, I heard echoes of that when, I, when you just spoke. Dr. Jones, in one of your recent um, uh, uh, podcasts, you had spoken recommend, and recommended going back to a, an old issue of Culture Wars magazine, and it was on Harry Potter, magic, and the culture of narcissism. Flash forward to 2023, which I believe was around 2004-ish. Yeah, when it first came out, first book came right. out. And I do recommend reading that because I, I did get that back order issue, and it was a phenomenal read. Absolutely critical regarding the whole idea of magic and, and reality and narcissism. What is the current status of today's culture of narcissism? <sighs> Clearly, it seems to have gotten progressively worse. And what is there no stopping it? No, we can stop it. You can stop it in yourself. So what, what is a, a narcissism? It's basically, what is magic? Magic, what is it between magic and prayer? Uh, nobody understands this. Harry Potter is full of magic spells. He gets admitted to a Hogwarts school of magic, and the magic spells are all Latin. So this is a, a lady who is a not very well-educated lady. She's pregnant uh, on the train, uh, trying to figure out, how am I going to take care of this kid? I'm not married. And suddenly she has this fantasy about education. Uh, Harry Potter, he'll get into a good school and everything will be all right. Well, this is a, a, a fantasy that we're all learning is a dead end because education is not like this anymore. You know, it may have been that, uh, you know, you got the letter, you're in, in, you know, you've been admitted to Harvard, your rest of your life is, is okay, taken care of. It's not that way anymore. Uh, the lady doesn't understand education, which means you're submitting your mind to the a greater order, to Logos. So you're going to take your mind and model it on Logos. You're going to form your mind. And sometimes it, it, education took the form of uh, sports, which was a way of disciplining the body. Uh, so as long as you don't get, get out of control, everything's out of control now, but sports are out of control. But in the original idea, you discipline the body. At the end of the day, the school day, you're full of energy. You've been sitting around all day. Let's go out and do something, like play a sport. It disciplines the body, and that, that makes the mind more receptive to, to the truth. Uh, uh, so that's good. That's good. Except that the whole damn thing has gotten completely out of control. And now you don't understand what education was. I'm talking about J.K. Rowling now. Uh, you think it's just learning magic formula that will put money in your pocket. Uh, that's magic. That's what magic is. It's what it's always been. And it's the opposite of prayer because what you're doing is you're imposing your will on reality. And that's, in a sense, what the narcissist does. It's like me. I'm the center of the universe because I'm basically an empty vessel. I don't know what's going on. I really don't understand anything. So I'll just go and impose my will on the universe. It doesn't work. I mean, this was the flaw of Harry Potter. And basically, uh, narcissism, the empty self, the, the idea that you're the center of the universe and that everybody thinks you're special, that's all throughout Harry Potter. 
you know, you get the accepted into the Hogwarts School of Magic, which means you thought you were a loser, but now everybody knows you're special because you got into Harvard. Well, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Uh, and so this idea of cultural narcissism started there, and then it got so out of control that basically J.K. Rowling had to object to it, which is what just happened recently, where she objected to transgenderism. Well, that's only the logical conclusion of what she was talking about in Harry Potter. You can be whatever you want to be as long as you learn the magic spells at the Hogwarts school. So if you think you're a, a guy, but you're really a girl, you can do that. Well, she's saying, no, no, that's going too far. And of course, everybody came down on it because uh, you're not in control, uh, Miss Rowling. There is a kind of revolutionary trajectory here, and those who control it are, in a sense, bound to go to the next step. They're condemned to go to the next step. So, you know, it went from feminism to homosexuality, and now it's transgenderism, and it's got a life of its own, uh, a kind of demonic life of its own uh, that has gone beyond Harry Potter. Dr. Jones, um, thank you. In regards to music, I love the chapter you dedicated to, to the beauty of music in your latest book, The Dangers of Beauty. And I have someone very special in my life that is a, is a music major, okay? And he goes to a local university in the Midwest, and I, I, he's younger. And so I, I, I spoke to him about some of these things, because I'm not a music major. He knows more about Beethoven and Bach than I do. He plays the, he plays the tuba. And he, when I tried um, talking to him, to, to him about uh, Wagner, um, and some of these, this, this idea of, uh, for example, in your, the book, uh, The Dangers of Beauty, this idea of silence and calling it music, right? Where a fellow opens up the piano and then doesn't do anything and times himself. And it, that's supposed to be some sort of a celebration of music, this emptiness, this celebration of nothingness. And when I spoke to him about it, he, he retorted that, merely just kind of put it off that like, it, it, this is just the, the change, the change of the times. This is just an expression of music. It's 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 there's not it's benign, and this is an okay thing. But doesn't understand the cultural impacts that that sort of thing, and we end up in places where, um, next thing you know, in art, someone can can sell nothing, yeah. and call it art. Right. Could you elaborate? Yeah. Well, nothing is the Latin word for nothing is nihil. So what we're talking about is nihilism. This is the triumph of nihilism in the arts. Nietzsche is the one who created the term nihilism. So what you're talking about here is a long progression. Okay, part of it is an organic development of music, which I discuss in the, in the book, uh, which is, talks about mimesis. Mimesis, art is imitation of nature. That's what Aristotle said. It's true. It will always be true. It will never be anything but that. And so what you had over the course of <clears throat> the history of Europe is, first of all, there's a big change in the understanding of nature, which shifted from Plato's dualistic nature of a realm of forms, which is comprehensible, and everyday life, which is total flux and incomprehensible, created by the incarnation, which means there is a logos to the universe, which means uh, if you access that, then imitation suddenly takes on a whole new dimension because you can get to the inner the inner meaning of the universe. 
by imitating. If you think about it long enough, if you meditate and you have the talent to do this. And so that's what happened in the visual arts, but it also obviously became more and more realistic as time went on, as the skill developed. But it also happened in music, and people don't understand it as easily. Going from Bach, uh, his well-tempered clavier, where he basically solved the problem of the circle of fifths by changing the tuning from a natural tuning to a tempered tuning, which would allow you to modulate all around that from one key to another. And this was a great breakthrough because modulation uh, is one of the basic things that, I'm saying from key, one key to another, like D minor to C. A minor key is like, it's a little bit melancholy, the sun isn't shiny, you switch to a major key, suddenly the sun comes out behind a cloud and you have a whole different emotion. This is what happens when you, when you change key. And now it can be used to describe the motions of the soul in a way that was never done before. And the man who realized this was Beethoven. And so now he could modulate, modulate, and bring it back together. And you had a, a, an extremely intense emotional experience by listening to his symphonies. Uh, literally. Now, this the, the internal development then went to Wagner, uh, who was a tortured soul because he had trouble controlling his sexual passion. Tannhäuser is a good example of the struggle. Uh, Tristan and Isolde is a good example of where he capitulated to his sexual passions. And Tristan and Isolde, you have the modulation, to, to but you never get back to the key you started from. And so it's always a kind of unsatisfying experience. And that dominated uh, Germany, who dominated the world, and the man who took that one step further was Schoenberg, who had his own problems, a Jew who converted to Lutheranism and then converted back to, Jew, to Judaism after his wife betrayed him. And then you have politics intervening. And so basically what happened is World War II. And World War II uh, we, was after the war, the Allies, specifically America, I'm talking more about America, was determined to destroy German culture. And the attack took place uh, on Bach, for example. So I have a friend, I was in a band in Germany, we played American music, and he had talent, and so he wanted to study uh, musical composition at the Robert Schumann Institute in Dusseldorf, and he got social engineering, because all of German education has been subjected to social engineering, and that meant no Bach, but you did 12-tone music. 12-tone music is psychological warfare, and I'm saying your friend is in exactly the same situation. If you go to any institution of higher learning and you decide you're going to study music, you will get social engineering. You will not get the, the, the tradition that I just described. He didn't even know who Bach was. He went through four years of, of music studying composition in Germany and no one ever mentioned Bach. This is proof that this is social engineering. And this is, so it's, I mean, I'm saying he knew all of education is social engineering. You will not be able to read Hawthorne now if you study literature because the people who are teaching you can't understand the importance of sacramental confession. That's what the last novel is about. And so you've got people now flooding in to the universities who have no talent whatsoever in terms of musical talent because you don't need talent to do 12-tone music. A monkey can do 12-tone music and that gets back to your piece of, you know, it's John Cage was the piece, the guy who did this piece. 
he was a product of the social engineering that took place after uh, World War II. He was going to this, the schools, summer schools in Donau Eschingen in Germany. Uh, Zudnes Rundfunk was broadcasting this kind of music. And it's anti-music. This is not music. This is silence. The music that you you would uh, that uh, John Cage wrote in uh, let's say in collaboration with Merce Cunningham is not music. It's noise. It's noise. But uh, the the oligarchs uh, through places like the New York Times style section would get behind this and promote this because this noise is a form of control. Everything we have in this culture is in one way or another. I'm talking about education now. A form of control to keep you docile so that you don't object to these people looting your culture getting rich off of your culture while you're sitting at home in your mother's basement playing video games so um, this, these next couple of questions are just quite informal regarding music um, I know you you spoke of Rolling Stones in the past I'm curious to, to know what are your thoughts on Pink Floyd and I like, well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I completely miss Pink Floyd okay. when it was happening. Okay. Because uh, it, Ro uh, Roger Waters is a couple, couple years older than me, and I was more influenced by the earlier, the older groups. And by the time uh, the late 70s rolled around, I had, I was in a band in Germany at this time. Uh, I don't think that, that they had done the wall yet uh, while I was in that band. When I got back from Germany, I just lost contact with that whole thing uh, and started listening to classical music. Listening to classical music for about 20 years until I got involved in Irish music. I got sick of listening to other people and I decided to play Irish music. So I missed um, Pink Floyd completely. And then suddenly I heard uh, the uh, We Don't Need No Education. I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant song. It was a brilliant song about social engineering about education as social engineering. Uh, and it's been, I think it's his greatest hit. I mean, he's, they're still, both of them are still playing, they split up, but both of them are still playing the song with a huge kind of multimedia extravaganza. Uh, and I think it was, it's not something you would expect from rock and roll at that point. The, 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 Be the Beatles were faced with a, 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 a conflict. They had gotten so addicted to studio music that they couldn't perform anymore. You couldn't perform something like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was a studio creation. And so they tried to get back to it. They did that rooftop concert. This is all what's like Peter Jackson has done a documentary about this point where they're trying to get back to, but what are you getting back to? Well, it's not, it's like, there's, that's the song, Get Back. It was a Paul McCartney song. It's not very deep, and so what you what you realize now is that you you don't you got the music it's simply back to what it was, but it's not really commenting on anything. It doesn't have anybody's attention anymore. And I think that over this period of time, Pink Floyd was able to Roger Waters certainly was able to contact make contact with the world as it existed. And so he would start talking about the Palestinians, and so at this point he got in trouble because the Jews don't like want anyone to talk about this kind of stuff. And suddenly the Jews are calling him an anti-Semite, you know. Well, I, whenever the Jews call you an anti-Semite, I, I was in Poland 
get, doing the book tour for Libido Dominani, and one of the guys stood up and says, I hear you're an anti-Semite. And everybody, <gasps> and then he says, that must mean you have something important to say. Well, that's what it was with Roger Waters. He had something important to say. I think he was the only guy who continued in that regard. He's the only guy who still has something to say about the world that we live in uh, in a coherent way. It's not really that coherent, but it's more coherent. What, what is anybody else doing? They're all drug addled. <laughs> Their brains are all addled by drugs. And he's the only one who has been able to continue that tradition of having a music that's relevant to, to the world we live in. That being said, regarding the idea of language and not having to be a scholar regarding regarding some of these topics, just because so many of us have reason and a lot for so much of the time, that's enough. Um, I really wanted to mention regarding the power of language because I there's all kinds of neologisms being talked uh, thrown around. The the actual uh, the attack on language itself, trying to rewrite language, right. because I, I'm convinced through your work that language, fundamentally, there's a divine element to language. And there's this quote, I think it was from Heidegger, that something about that man thinks they're in control of language, but it's the other way around. And that's why there's, there's a futility when people get asked, what is a woman? And moderns cannot answer it because they, they're using language which Go, which goes against them, but they, they, they try to manipulate language to make sense of something that is completely unreasonable. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly the point. So there, when you say there's something divine about language, that's exactly what St. John said. Logos is God. I mean, that is, that is the, one of the most powerful statements in human history. I mean, what that opened up, the vistas that opened up, that's, that's a sentence that changed the world. And we have forgotten it. And I'm saying we have to go back to that understanding. Logos is God. And if you're being rational, you're being you're in the presence of God. So what you have now is a lot of people who are simply uh, going through the motions. The classic example of what I'm talking about here is science. Logos and science are two different things. And so what you have is, you know, on the lawns of people in this neighborhood, they have a, a kind of profession of faith. And it says Black Lives Matter, and then down go down there, and it says science is real. Well, what do you mean by that? What you mean by that is if Tony Fauci says science, you roll over and play dead. Your your rational powers have just been extinguished, and all you have to do is say yes, sir. What else? What do you want me to do? That's the opposite of what I'm talking about, and that's precisely the perversion of logos that needs to be exposed for what it is. Second perversion, hate speech. Hate speech is a Jewish creation created by the ADL. They took credit for it. And basically, it is the to ensure that Jews have privilege to do whatever they want. To the Jew, Jew can commit crimes. He will never go to jail. You'll go to jail if you're a pro-lifer because we have a Jew, Merrick Garland, who's the attorney general. And he's imposing Jewish taboos on the entire culture. Okay, Mr. Bankman-Fried got off with us. It didn't even get a slap on the wrist, as far as I know. Stole billions of dollars, yep. uh, but a right to lifer from Philadelphia is uh, threatened with federal prosecution because he's protesting against abortion. That's Jewish culture. That is the perversion of Jewish culture. That's what we have to fight against. Uh, and that's why we have to fight against things like hate speech. That's Jewish thought control. We cannot allow thought control. 
There's one determination that should rule all of our speech, and that is the truth. If it's true, then you have to accept it. If you reject the truth, you're rejecting reason, and you are basically a stooge of the controllers who want to use speech as a form, as a weapon against normal people. That's what hate speech is. That's why we have to fight it. Okay, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Um, well, um, I encourage everybody to visit his website, culturewars.com. Visit and take a look at all his books, especially the ones um, we, we spoke about, Libido Dominandi, uh, Sexual Liberation and Political Control, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, Degenerate Moderns, um, I've done a couple of book reviews. I highly recommend his catalog. I recommend tuning in on Fridays for, for, his, for his podcast on Cozy, 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 Cozy TV. TV. And um, I appreciate your time, Dr. Jones. And I, I very much thank you for your work. I found you through Roosh. I, I found you through Roosh. I don't know if you're in contact with him anymore, but um, you know, Roosh's story um, was something that I related to. And... Um, when he spoke about you, I was like, I need to, I need to learn more. There was something in me that I was missing. And I've always, I've always had faith. I've always prayed, but I, I didn't do more. And that was missing. And you helped kind of put these pieces together in my life. And I think you could do the same with a lot of my generation that are, that are lost. If they will come to listen yeah, to reason. That's right. Bruce is an, it's an inspiring story going from pickup artist to serious being a serious Christian uh, it's an inspiring story and it's po if it's possible for Roosh it's possible for anybody but you have to accept the plan on God's terms not your terms that's the difference thank you dr. Jones you're welcome okay. that's all I have <laughs>